Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Hello, welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari, and I am here with Carrie Ann Powell. How are you, Carrie Ann? Hi, Angela. How are you? I am doing fabulous. It's a wonderful day here in Atlanta. I'm always happy it to is. be on a podcast. It's a fantastic day here as well. So I'm glad uh, we're getting a chance to chit chat. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I love your story. I love what you're, 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 you stand for. I think you have so much value to bring to our audience today. So I want to take a moment to introduce you, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So Carrie Ann is a global business strategist, speaker, and champion of small and medium-sized businesses. Carrie Ann's varied experience of over 20 years as a Washington, D.C. attorney, lobbyist, and fundraiser positions her as an authority of what it takes to strategically succeed while confronting difficult obstacles. After raising $120 million, what? million to build the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, she launched her strategic business and consulting firm, Trafalgar Strategies. She and her team advise business owners from various industries and countries on creating the strategies, systems, and mindsets to thrive in business and in life. Over the years, Carrie Ann's experience and, and speaking have been sought after by international brands, organizations, and institutions such as Working Women's Magazine, Dallas Leadership Foundation, CIEE, Association of Fundraising Professionals, Mogul and Philanthropist Russell Simmons, Rush Philanthropic Arts Foundation, and more. Gosh, that's a mouthful. Carrie Ann has um, is committed to spreading the gospel that running a small and medium-sized business is vital and important to our economies, yet it doesn't have to feel like trying to manage a chaotic tornado. And business owners can run their businesses smoothly and feel confident that they will thrive. Absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly. So thank you. It's it's, it's the gospel, I'm telling you. (laughs) It really is. It really is. You know, as much as I love running my small business, I say, you know, small business is not for everybody, Um, but it is, it's a wonderful thing to do if you have the, the ability to do it, at least with something, you know, even if it's not your full-time job, Mm -hmm. you know, finding something that you can do um, on the side even is, is fulfilling. I think so too. Absolutely. All right. So let's dive into um, what took you to Washington, DC. I mean, that's a, that's huge. And being a <laughs> lobbyist, being, uh, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, I, I just always believed. So, you know, I, I, when I was in college, I was a pre-med major. And so I thought I was going to be, you know, a doctor. And then I realized that I couldn't pass physics. And so <laughs> <laughs> I get it, but I, but I was still really eager to, to continue in the sciences. So I was thinking about doing um, neuroscience. And so when I was literally sitting with my mom, putting out our applications for grad school, I realized I actually didn't want to do research because, you know, at that time I had already done some two years of research with professors and I've been in a lab in the, you know, the psychology school's basement. Mm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have, so I had no <laughs> idea what I wanted to do. My parents were like, um, so you're coming home because we're not paying for you to like hang out in your right. college but I'm like yeah so can I stay and you know so I took about a year for me to get my footing and I got this this job working at the United Way mm-hmm. um, in my town and that was when I really began to get exposed to this sort of intersection between helping right so mm-hmm. and also business because right. it's the idea of you know you can um you need strategy, you need fundraising abilities, you need the capacity to be able to convince and persuade people. Oh yeah. And so, you know, this is me coming in as a young person, just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all these professionals doing this amazing work. And there's an intersection with the work that they're doing is going to help all these different people um, in the end. And as I was doing that, I realized, wait a minute, there's a lot of need, you know, because yeah. when you're growing up, you don't realize you're sheltered, right? So you don't realize mm. how much need there really is. And, you know, in our city, um, we had like one of the largest um, 
domestic violence shelters um, really? in, in the country at that time. And they, you know, they had this whole school on site, the whole thing. And everyone used to like talk about how wonderful this domestic violence shelter is and how they're going to continue hmm. to add more, you know, capacity for it. And all I could think about, well, why is there domestic violence? Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't get it. What's going on here? And so that's when I started, re you know, sort of really looking at how is it that I could start to help change the things that cause that that cause the problem why we need this state of the art domestic violence shelter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I was talking to different people and mentors, I realized that the law was the way I wanted to do it. So I went to law school. Wow, good for you. To go into public policy law and sort of, you know, go into this. So that's what I did. And that's how I ended in Washington. And wow. so I was there for a bit, did some public interest lobbying. I was an attorney, headed up a couple of programs, and it was very fulfilling and loved it. Um, but then, um, you know, I got word that they were building the Martin Luther King Memorial in the National Mall, and they mm. were looking for a fundraiser to do corporate fundraising, which just so happened to have been what I, you know, cut my teeth on, you know, mm -hmm. back in the day. So I said, you know what, I'll pause my career for, you know, two, three years, do this yeah. whole thing with the memorial, and then I'll get back to the law and yeah. lobbying, but never did. <laughs> I understand. But, um, went through and did this wonderful thing. And that's how I got to Washington. Wow. Well, what an amazing thing to be part of, too, is, you know, that Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial is there because of your efforts. And that is just, that is, I mean, life changing, it, really. I mean, it, it totally. Told, I don't think there's anything else that I probably will do. I mean, you know, of course, the future is ahead. Mm -hmm. But up to this point in my life, it truly was the most fulfilling Oh, yeah. um, aspect of my career and definitely a part of my life. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a what a significant accomplishment. I mean, good for you. That's just so impressive. So so you you go to law school and I love that you wanted to to really kind of make a change, make a difference because you're right. Um getting to the root of the problem is really where you start solving things, right? Because Angela, it's, let's be honest. It's so frustrating. I mean, this is that's the real thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think I think we we're we're smart, we're savvy, you know, we mm -hmm. come up with all these different ways to address a problem and to fix the sort of the 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 symptoms of the problem. But in the end, I think for me, I'm really I'm really interested in how we, how do we fix the root cause? Because yeah. we can do a lot of different ways to patch a problem up and and we do a lot of great things. I mean, you know, you have people that are doing amazing things in the world to fix the symptoms of problems. Absolutely. But I think, uh, you know, I just, I guess for me, I'm more of a root cause kind of person. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I love the business that I, that I'm in because, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, businesses come in and they're like, oh yeah, you know, for some reason I can't scale. And they think it's because they don't have enough sales, but then you dig deeper and you realize the problem is well, because the product sucks. Right. Right. Well, and I mean, we're in a culture where <laughs> it's so much easier to fix the, the problem, the, the symptom than it is to figure out what the root cause is. And I mean, even our yeah. healthcare system, you know, if you look mm -hmm. at our healthcare system, we're in a society where, Hey, you know, I can either go to the doctor and figure out why I keep coughing or why mm -hmm. this, you know, whatever is happening with me, mm -hmm. or I can just run to the drugstore and take something to band-aid it until I can't take it anymore and then I'll go figure out why right. you know oh yeah and, oh yeah and same thing with you know diets I you know I just had a nutritionist join me and and you know there's so much that goes on with us when it comes to our health and you know most of it is our own diet it's what we're putting into our bodies or depriving our bodies of that right. really makes all the difference you have just said wisdom right there. Mm, yeah. And, I'm, and we're all like, and we're all guilty of it. I mean, I mm -hmm. myself, you know, the other day I, I was having all these headaches and I was like, God, why am I having all these headaches? You know, yeah. and you know, you're popping an Advil here and a thing yeah. there, whatever. And, and, and then, you know, you sort of realize, oh, it's because I'm my neck is like doing this weird thing when I'm working mm -hmm. all day on the computer. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm on the computer. My eyes hurt. I'm dehydrated. Yeah. Like there are so many other things that, you know, mm -hmm. we, we can make an adjustment and solve the symptom by also solving the root of the problem. So, uh, yeah. you know, going into law to solve a problem mm -hmm. with domestic violence is, I mean, it's, it's genius. This is exactly, you know, we need more of you. <laughs> we need more 
people like you out there, <laughs> you know, that, that see a problem as deeper. And I have no doubt that you take that same strategy into your business, you know, into yes. consulting with, with other businesses and saying, okay, I get it. Like you were saying, like, maybe the revenue is off because the product isn't great. You know, maybe we should start looking at, you know, yeah. where, where is the baseline of where does this start and really yeah. going all the way down and digging yeah. deep. You know, I, I I have what I call sort of these um, eight, you know, true culprits of business yeah. chaos. And they, in the end, if you flip side that, it's it's really the eight foundational things that need to be implemented, I believe, mm. in a in a business, particularly as it relates to small and medium sized companies, um, for them to really thrive. And okay. so when I when I when a company comes to me and I'm and they're saying, hey, you know, I've got this issue with cash flow or have this issue with not scaling or whatever the issue is, mm. um, what I call those the symptoms of chaos, you know, I then sort of really audit based on the eight components that I really have found and what my team and have team has found to be the real true areas that we need to focus in on. And once you sort of do an audit and say, okay, well, here's really where things are not working on this is it right here right. and then they're like oh really I didn't think about that yeah because you know and I, I always say this because fish really can't see water and that's like you know you can't see your own water when you're running your business and you're just trying to like meet payroll and you know make sure that things are growing you don't have the time to really sit back and look and see what really is the problem so one of the things that we do is just really help people to kind of say okay here are some foundational things Let's audit based on these things and let's take a look and see where they are. And sometimes you might have, just like anything, Angela, you know, you might say, well, this area here in the business is going quite well. This one's more medium. And this one is like fire, fire, fire. If we don't fix right. this, you know, right, right. we need to, we need to go so, ahead and do this now. Yeah. So can you share some of those eight factors with us just so that, you know, we can kind of look, take a look at our own, you know, businesses? Yeah. Absolutely. So there's the first fundamental thing is what I call sort of the big idea. Okay. And that encompasses a lot of things. One, believe it or not, one of the, the basic things in the big idea is, is the owner's life vision and mm. life plan. So oftentimes, you know, when you look at uh, small and medium sized companies, the owners are very much still involved in, yeah. in the business. Mm -hmm. So the question on the table is what is your life plan? And then how right. does the business fit into that? Because maybe you created a business a long, long time ago and you didn't really have a life plan. You just kind of thought someone said, oh, you're good at this and they hang a shingle out. And then right. you haven't really audited and said, does this business even fit into what it is that I want my life to be or how I want you know my business, my life to, to be? And you don't shift, you don't change the life plan. The life plan comes from the innards. Mm -hmm. the, the, if, if you somehow feel like there's a mismatch between the vision of your business, meaning its purpose and the the, the current big, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal you have in your yep. business, then you need to like, you know, shift that, not the life plan, because a life plan carries you, you know, that's coming from your soul spaces. Yeah. But um, some other things that fall into that basic sort of big idea uh, component, that's like the first one really is, you know, how do you have a business vision, meaning what is the North Star for your business? I can't tell you, Angela, how many times, you know, businesses have been just running and they just keep going and going, but they have no true goal or vision right. for the future. Mm -hmm. So the individuals, the team is running and doing their things on a day-to-day -day, and they have no concept of how, what they do on a day-to-day, -day, where is that connected to? What is that moving them to? Mm. So I think it's really important to kind of say, this is, this is what we do. So for instance, you know, you know, in, in our business, we have a, a goal that we want to reach in the next 10 to 15 years. Okay. And then we say, here's our purpose. Our purpose, we are in the business of helping businesses thrive. So right. it allows for us to know that when something pops up, some sparkly, you know, object that comes around and says, Hey, here's something really cool. Maybe we should do this you know, we can come back to that purpose and say, does this help us help businesses thrive right, in the right. way that's going to get us to the big goal that we have for the next 10 to 15 years? Mm. It allows everyone to know, hey, every single thing we're doing in the business moves us towards that. Right. That right. allows for some, so if you'll be surprised how many businesses don't even have a good, a good goal and vision. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so that's just some, some fundamental things are the basics. So then after, once you sort of have your sort of foundational things, and the second thing is around leadership. Okay. So I think, and I call it inspired leadership, and that is speaking to the business owner. I believe yeah. inspired leadership requires three things. You have the ability to lead yourself well, mm-hmm. you're leading your team well, and you're leaving, leading the organization well. The organization is an entity outside of yourself. Right, right. And then on the third side of the third step, the third of the eight is really the other side of the coin of the least inspired leadership, which is the rockstar team. Yeah. Is your team a good, good fit of people where you didn't build this team? Now, of course, we all know, Angela, when you're building an organization, you might sort of, you know, have cousin Susie come in early yeah. days because she's good at social media and then you have right. someone else, whatever. Right. As you grow as an organization and begin to age, mm-hmm. what is the organization chart? Where the roles fit in? And then do the people that you have in your organization, are they the best people, the best fit for the roles you have created? Now, sometimes what happens is that people, you know, they kind of didn't really do an org chart at the very beginning and now they're sort of here and this is this is the organization you have, mm-hmm. these are people you have. Yeah. I, I just want to say pause a bit. Mm-hmm. Pause a bit. Ignore your current business. <laughs> you know, go relax for a moment and just sort of say, what does your business need now by way of a team? Ignoring right. who's there, ignoring what you have currently. Once you sort of create that and then start looking at the people that you have on your team and say, okay, are these individuals, so the person that's doing all the different five tasks that are not right. related, right, um, right, are, are they, where would they fit best in the organization mm-hmm. based on the org chart? Now, this can be right. scary for a lot of business owners because they're feeling like, I'm not going to let my team go, you know, right. and, and it, it doesn't, it may not have to be like that. But mm-hmm. in the end, you know, the, the whole point is to have an org chart, have clear expectations as to the roles, making sure that people are in the best role based on their qualifications, their makeup, who they are, and right. then making sure that you're hiring really self-motivated people. Once right. you have that, then those two sides, inspired leadership and, then the, and, the, and the rockstar team, those are the second and third elements. You're good to go. Right. Right. The rest of the things you're looking at creating strategy, creating standard operating procedures to execute mm-hmm. the strategy, mm-hmm. you have a strong execution plan for your strategy. And then you always have optimization and innovations woven in to your business in a way, not like, oh, we're going to decide to be kind of cool and innovative today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But it's in the process. And so you have all of those sorts of things and you wrap it around with a good growth mindset. Mm-hmm. I think those elements put you in a good position to thrive. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree with you. There's so many things there that, you know, really resonated with me because, you know, when I first started my business, I was one of those who, you know, oh, I don't want to go into debt, you know, also I couldn't get any money. You know, I couldn't get any money from banks. I couldn't get any money from investors. I couldn't get any money. And so I had to bootstrap, which meant I was the recruiter and the salesperson and the and the operations person and the on-site manager yep. and, and the employee. I was doing the my own staffing. I was bussing tables and, you know, bar backing and whatever yeah. it took. Yeah. And and I think, you know, just being so scrappy in those early years and and just doing everything the hardest part has been peeling myself away from it because I know I'm the bottleneck. I know, (laughs) I know right now that the business can't grow if I continue to hold on to things. And so, but it is hard that, you know, putting that org chart together, this is where somebody like you, you know, coming into an organization who, who can look at an organization as it is, right? Like there's no emotion there. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, PTSD. <laughs> yes. You know, and so somebody like you can come into an organization and look at it as it is on paper, you know, in action and say, you know, here are your missing pieces and how can we make this better for you? Because as an entrepreneur, like you were saying, a fish can't see the water it's swimming in. You can't see it sometimes. You, you really just can't. can't. 
You really yeah. can't, Angela. And I, and I, you know, what you just said, you know, you, you know, you're like, you realize you're the bottleneck. Mm. That is all kinds of self-awareness right there. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm yeah. telling you so many business owners, they just don't even realize that they're mm. the bottleneck. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a hard thing to walk them through that. You know, it's difficult and that's what we do, but you know, when they finally realize it, it's like, oh, and I think a large part of it is, is one, it's look, I built this from the bottom, you know, and, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And I, I, I get it. I'm a small business owner myself. Mm -hmm. um, I also know a part of it too, is this kind of sense of worth, right. this kind of, well, if I'm not necessary in this, then what role do I play? Right. And I always say, look, there are some things, there are a lot of things you can outsource in a business as a business owner, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. the things you cannot outsource are one, your ability to be able to see the strategic vision of the organization and direct it towards that. Right. And if you're spending all the time working in your business, mm -hmm. there's no way you can be directing the strategy of no. the business and, and no. moving it forward. You just can't have both. So you mm -hmm. can decide and say, this is the organization that I'm going to have. This is the business that I'm going to have. And as it is, and we're just going to keep it moving the same way. Mm -hmm. Or you can say, I have a bigger vision for this business. And, you know, one of the, I was talking about sort of the fundamental things, right? The big idea section, that first right. foundation. And one of the things that I often do too is, ask people, well, what's your exit strategy? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes, you know, they're, they, we don't have an exit strategy. So no. we're just building this thing and, and then what? So right. what's going to happen? What's the plan? Um, you know, I had a really dear aunt. Um, she just last year, so she was an educator mm -hmm. um, for a number of years. And when she retired, she decided to open a, um, a childcare, um, like a preschool, right? Yeah. And so, you know, of course, because she's a fabulous woman and also because she is a very well um, trained educator, mm -hmm. she got all these different, um, you know, families just would wanted to have their children go to her school. Right. So over the years, I, I want to say she probably had it for about maybe 10 years, maybe that's what I'm in my mind. That's what I'm remembering. And through that time, you have all these young families who they just stayed, stayed with her. So yeah. they just started having, when they were having their children, their babies, they just, all the babies just went through that, mm -hmm. that preschool yeah. and because they didn't want to leave. And so they became a community. And so she has all this goodwill. She has all right. of this, um, um, uh, number of people that are loyal to the school Okay. and loyal to the curriculum that she developed at the school mm -hmm. when it was time to 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 close down she didn't have an exit strategy so she just closed it down so no selling there was I mean and she has I mean she had all this clientele I mean I'm not saying that she was going to like sell it for like a million bucks but she could have sold sold it for quite a bit because right. of you know the the facility mm-hmm Mm -hmm. the, the materials, the reputation, um, the reputation, mm -hmm. um, the curriculum she developed, all of that sort of thing. And, yeah. but because she had built it in a way where it was reliant on her mm -hmm. in such a way, it was not sellable, even if she thought she could sell it because she didn't build it in a way that it could be sold. Right. And of course, you, you some of your listeners may business owner, they're like, well, I don't want to sell it. I, you know, I want to pass yeah. it on my kids. It's the same thing. Yeah. If you think you want to pass the business on to your kids, you have to build it in a way that doesn't require you right. in it. Right. And well. you also need to have some systems in place, processes in place, as well as insurance and all mm -hmm. the other things that will allow for you to be able to retire and have a, a, a retirement fund coming right. out of the business and be able to sell it or give it to your family member, your kids. So there's, if you're not thinking along, you, you kind of build something differently. If you know, okay, here's the plan. Here's the exit strategy coming out mm -hmm, of it mm -hmm. versus if you're just building and saying, I just want it to grow. I just want it to grow. Okay. That's great. 
and then what yeah. right so yeah. yeah yeah well and and you know honestly the bigger the clients get the more they're going to want to see what that extra exit strategy is and a good example of that is when i was a really tiny little business and we were working with you know we were staffing with caterers and and you know it, these small venues or meeting planners they weren't asking me for my exit strategy but once we started getting bigger into the large venues and large sporting events and these long-term contracts i call it the if I get by, hit by a bus clause, you know, because yes. what, what they want to know is yes. if you got hit by a bus tomorrow, who's running this thing, who's right? This? And so, you know, and it's valid. It's so valid. It's but before valid that, person. I was like, listen, I am the business, you know, and then I started realizing like they don't want to buy me right? They're buying yeah. the business. They're contracting with the business. And so yeah. if they're contracting with me as an individual, I can't guarantee them anything, right? Exactly. And so they're contracting with a business. And so removing yourself from being the business is so important. And so, um, yeah, that, that, if I get hit by a bus clause, I love that. <laughs> I love that clause. I'm yeah. using it now, by the way. So I'm Good. taking that. <laughs> Go for it. What you, like, had... you know, what happens yeah. when you get hit by a bus? What happens? Mm -hmm. It's the, if I get hit by a bus clause and they want to know mm -hmm. like who takes over, who, yes. what is your chain of command? You know, what's your, what's your structure? What does your insurance policy say? Mm -hmm. You know, what mm -hmm. do your contracts say? And so you, I had to really kind of sit down with somebody and wrap my head around what all of this meant and and it was a little bit heartbreaking because you know again this is my baby and everybody every yeah. entrepreneur calls their business their baby and so it's like it's it's almost like giving away your baby to you know their new spouse or something you're like I don't want to <laughs> I don't want you know but Angela did you find when you started as asking those questions to yourself mm -hmm. that you began to see yourself more take yourself more seriously as oh, a absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. well and it also allowed me to really see my business as a business right yes. and so that's the other thing is that you know in order for a business to be successful it really needs to exist outside of you right because i as one human am limited to how many hours in a day how yep. much output i can put out you know and, and listen i work stupid amounts of hours like mm -hmm. i i commit way too much to this business and don't have balance but if somebody were to have balance in their life like <laughs> it would be nice. this imaginary person i know if somebody were to have balance in their life i can imagine that you know having a business that exists outside of themselves is is important and i actually just gave my son his first like business lesson the other day and mm -hmm. you're you will love this because love it, this <laughs> this is so in your wheelhouse and you would have been sitting there like yep do that so <laughs> you know he he is 16 years old and he just started his very uh, first real business, which was uh, mobile car detailing, right? Perfect. So he had a business when he was 13 painting mailboxes, but this is like the first real business. Like he printed off his own business cards and everything. Yeah, yeah. And he was getting calls, you know, he's putting things out on Instagram and he's putting things out on Facebook and he built a Facebook page and he's starting to get calls. And, you know, now he's like, okay, well, mom, I have like three weeks worth of, um, of, of customers that I need to get to. And I'm like, well, why don't you try to knock out like three in a day instead of doing two in a day? Because if you can get that third one in, then you're getting the, because if they can't get this done soon, they're going to find somebody else. He's right. like, yeah, but then I said, you need to hire somebody to help you. He said, if I hire them, then I got to pay them. And then, you know, I don't, I don't make as much money. And then, so I sat down with him and I showed him the graph of mm -hmm. if you have two employees and you can do this much volume, you're paying out this much, but you're making this much. And I showed him how exponentially he will make more money if he brings more people on because he can have higher oh, volume yeah. business. And he's, he's going to retain more clients because he can get to them quicker. And so anyway, he posted it on his wall and he looks, he has it in his bedroom. And so he's like, all right, I'm totally changing the way I'm doing business now. So oh man, your son is lucky to have you, <laughs> lucky to have you. <laughs> you to write a check for business strategy consultation. <laughs> he said, he said, if I went to a business consultant, how much would this have cost me? And I'm like, honey, you're not even close to there yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, but, know, you would be surprised. The statistics, Angela, are mm, huge. 80% mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of small businesses are solo businesses they do really? not 
have employees. That's the stat for here in the U.S. Wow. And I bet it's stunning to me. Yeah. Well, and I bet in their mind, they're thinking they're making more money by not having employees. They're thinking what your son was thinking. Yeah. And, you know, in his mind, he's like, well, I can charge this and I'll make this much and I'll do this and I'll do this. And I said, yeah, but if you look at the formula, honey, it doesn't work that way. And this is why. And, and I said, you can afford to pay your employees X amount of dollars and you get Uh this much volume. And, and so if you just look at what taking yourself out of the business means, Uh it means growth. It means growth. Yes. And you know, the other thing too, Angela, is what I've noticed another fear that employer um, business owners have uh-huh. is that they are worried about meeting payroll. Yep. So there's, there's exponential, you know, mm-hmm. issue, mm-hmm. but they're also concerned that they are not going to be able to meet payroll. Right. And it's a scary feeling. I know at mm-hmm. the same time, this is, you know, this is where you sort of go into the conversation around being able to manage risk. Right. Absolutely. Because if you, if you plan to build a business that lasts and Mm -hmm. that you want to thrive, this goes back to the original Mm -hmm. conversation around Mm -hmm. the life plan and what's the business vision. What's the true North? What are you trying to get to? Right. So once you know what you're trying to get to, then you're going to have to do the things that make you uncomfortable. Yes. Which Mm -hmm. is bringing on a staff. And again, you can make that look however you'd like it to look, particularly now with so many things, you know, the future of work is so different than how it was back in the day where, you know, you know, you, you kind of have people in you know, the big building and the blah, 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 you know, you can work remotely. So you don't have to have a a huge building to depend on what business you're in. Of course. I mean, if you have a factory, that's a different thing, but Mm -hmm. I was also noticing too, I was um, reading an article the other day. Now, depending upon what industry you're in, some people are having a very difficult time even attracting employees. Per, so like a lot of manufacturing companies, a lot mm-hmm. of um, sort of, you know, they call them, you know, the, the, the article, it was, it was really a video article that was talking about like sort of men at work, sort of jobs where you kind of think of sort of your grandfather used to work, you know, those kinds yeah. of more um, blue, cl- blue collar, more physical types of jobs. Right. Um, but you know, those, they're having a very difficult time filling those types of positions. Hmm. And so in that industry, but then there's other industries where, you know, you have this whole, you know, companies are laying off. So you don't really know, but the point is depending upon what industry you're in and how much it costs to have an employee, um, you really do need to think about if you want to grow, if you have a strong vision for the company, one must really think about when I, when I saw the statistic, I mean, I, I knew that I was noticing a lot of, you know, companies where they were like, oh yeah, you know, I have some employees, but you know, I kind of contract this out, contract that out. But when you start looking 80% of small businesses in the U S don't have um, staff, then you really begin to think, well, how are you, how are you getting to the goals that you're getting to? Um, mm-hmm. so I think it's really important. And when you start looking at and you're like, oh, well, that's okay. No problem. Well, you know, with small businesses, uh, over 90% of businesses in this company, in the country are small and medium-sized businesses. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. In in Europe, it's 99% of companies are small businesses. So this is not like, oh, you know, the small businesses, blah, blah, blah. They're sort of like, you know, hobbies. No, these, it's a huge part right. of our economic base huge and yeah absolutely unless we look at two-thirds of employees are hired mm-hmm. by a small business mm-hmm. so this is a big huge deal you yeah. know and so yeah. i'm so glad you had the conversation with your son mm-hmm. because it's 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 a good foundational teaching that will take him through right and well and i think it's part of the you know you can grow and scale a business but you can't do it if you're doing everything you know like i i'm really fortunate because you know for for a while like i said i was doing everything in my business and i thought i was doing it really really well until mm-hmm. i hired the team i have now like i have the best team i've ever had and they they handle so much more so much better than i do right I know, just right. Putting, putting somebody in that role you know like my recruiter <laughs> my salesperson you know like they're crushing it yes. and i was doing like a tenth of it and thought i was crushing it you know and so it's it's amazing how much better things get you know my yeah. office manager i i was 
it was taking me and here we go with small businesses again, you know, just mm -hmm. trying to do everything. It would sometimes take me 30 days to get an invoice out because I was trying to do so much. She has those things whipped out in no time. I mean, she's the reason we have cash flow. Right? <laughs> so, but it's those things. It's like, I'm not, I don't have to stay up until two o'clock in the morning to get invoices done because right. they're done and they're done right. You know, because yes, she's yes. not doing it in addition to the 43 other things that are on her plate, you know, and yes, so, yes. you know, having, having people in those roles, man, and, and that hierarchy and that org chart you're talking about, that is gold. That is, it is golden. Gold. Mm -hmm. It is golden. It is really golden. If, and if, and then I think if, if this conversation could, could really just, you know, tickle someone's air out there, yeah. who's, you know, who's running it, like, you know, you have a good product, right? You know, you have a good service, mm -hmm. you know, that you can, you know, provide value to the world, then believe in yourself. Bet yes. on you. Bet on Bet you. On you. Mm -hmm. Get that team going. And look, I think with one of the, I loved how you're like, well, yeah, you were like, you know, the cook, the chef, the bottleneck, yeah. the bottle mm -hmm. washer. You mm -hmm. know, at some point when you do that org chart, particularly if you're a solopreneur, um, you know, you do that org chart, it's going to have your name in there. Right. But the best strategy is to first start from the bottom of mm -hmm. the org chart. And I say bottom, you know, it's not like these are the least important jobs, but you you sort of work yourself out of a job uh -huh. at each rung of mm -hmm. the org chart so that you you know you're doing the work you know what it takes to do that job mm -hmm. yes you right. know what the systems the procedures the operating procedures everything that it takes you create a the job description based on what it is you know to be true Mm -hmm. You create the, 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 um, the job, um, commitment and right. what needs to happen. You hire someone to replace yourself. You move to the next one. Right. And you just keep moving up, up, up. And the more, and it's funny, you know, once you start hiring people and you realize, oh goodness, Jesus, why didn't I do this before you start doing it faster, you know, mm -hmm. but if you're, if you have someone that's sort of listening right now and they're like, yeah, man, I'm having a hard time really, um, feeling comfortable hiring. Just take the risk of taking one role that you're currently doing in your, in your business, create a job description for it, write down all of the processes that you have within that particular job description. Mm -hmm. And then think about who, who you have to be when you are doing that particular job. So, you know, the kind of person you need to bring in to, yep. to maybe build that. I mean, right. if it requires you to be more extroverted in that job or more organized in that job or whatever, then fill that role, move to the next. And right, that right. will give you the process to be able to systematically fill your business with good quality, self-motivated people who believe in your business values and, 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 you know, it becomes beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I'm a, a huge believer in, um, building other leaders as well, you know, because if you have somebody who can come in on one part of the job and then they just keep showing more and more dedication, just keep rising that person up through your organization. And you'll yes. be amazed at how, how powerful that one position has turned into. And, you yes. know, somebody who has enabled you to step away and do something working on your business instead of working in your business is a huge blessing. And so yeah. those people are the ones that you really got to pay attention to and say, okay, this person is taking enough off of me that I'm now finally able to work on my business. I'm working on strategy. I'm working on development. I'm working on all those things that when you're working in your business, all you're doing is managing tasks, right? Just managing tasks. That's all mm -hmm. you're doing. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I love what you said because I, I have a real philosophy and I know that, you know, things are looking different as we move forward into how, what the future of work looks like. So, right. you know, each, each generation wants to, you know, has a different way of how they look at work. And so I think we need to respect the changing shifts of tide. Yes. At the same time, I do think that there's human nature at play. Mm -hmm. Human mm -hmm. nature People want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. Absolutely. Period. Yes. And not mm -hmm. everyone is want wants to start a business. Right. And so you think about who are the people, and and you know as time goes on, it may be more difficult to find people mm -hmm. to, who are self motivated and who who want to be a part of something bigger than themselves for you know a, a period of time. 
but trust me, there are. Don't let don't let the mm-hmm. news get you. Think, oh, everyone's out there quiet quitting. That is not true. No, nope. you create a good culture in your organization. You 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 treat people fairly, and mm-hmm. you you know have a high standard where all of you agree these are the values of how we operate here in this company. Right, you would be surprised at how people will step up, and yes. they will step up in a way that you don't you know they, no matter how much you pay like obviously paying people is very vital and important but that's not the only motivating factor of getting people to want to do things that are way more beyond the scope yeah. um you know i was i was i was mentioning as we were building the martin luther king memorial i had this this funny story um we were we had gotten um i don't know if you remember um oh my gosh this the company's called it wasn't roadway but you know there's two major uh trucking companies in the u.s uh-huh. and right there's roadway and there's another anyway the point is the other one i feel terrible now but it's, it's been 10 years <laughs> give me a break right i'm getting older my <laughs> memory's not that I great hear you. Yeah, I hear but you. one of the biggest one of the one of the big uh, trucking companies they um worldwide i think it was mm-hmm. they um, I was able to get them to agree to wrap. We were doing this, you know, great sort of promotional uh, educational program called Kids for King. And it was a tool that we were, you know, providing for schools to, you know, to teachers to be able to use to teach kids about Dr. King and yeah. also how teaching them how to be charitable so they could, you know, you know, collect coins and do little bake sales and those kind of things That's to support awesome. the memorial. Yeah. So, um, um, so the 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 company said okay we'll wrap you know all of these trucks that Mm. you know these trucks go around the country all around so they wrapped all these trucks I think it was like 20 trucks or something with the kids for king um stuff and you know like with the website and the whole thing and it was a huge thing that I negotiated for over a year I'm so excited about it so we're doing this whole press conference on the national mall and if you have some folks that are international audiences, the National Mall is where we have all of our memorials in Washington, D.C., and it's a National mm-hmm. Park Service property. And, you know, there's not many, you know, there's some things you can't do on the National Mall. Right. So anyway, um, one of the things you can do in the National Mall is having semi-trucks on the National Mall. <laughs> right. But we were able to get the uh, the National Park Police to agree to mm. get this uh, to allow us to bring this truck on because we were going to stage the truck and then the CEO of the company was going to come and, you know, do this whole, you know, it's going to be a, a big deal, right? Yeah, we had the department sure. of the, the secretary of education was going to be there. It was kind of a big deal. Yeah. But what the park service said was the park police said they had to be there. The truck had to be on site by like 5.30 a.m. or something like that. Okay. So because, you know, rush hour begins mm-hmm. and people are driving in from all parts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, me and my colleagues to my colleagues, like, you know, you know, you know how we are women. We were looking yeah. too. We had yes. yeah. outfits and stuff like that. We're there at 4 a.m. because we're, we're at their part 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, one, to make sure the truck was there, but two, to just kind of make sure everything else is going. Anyway, this, tr- this truck, you know, the driver, of course, if you've been to Washington, D.C., you know, it's not very... Or, mm, the yeah. roads are, are difficult it's not an easy uh, yeah. you know navigation not situation. for a, not for a truck no barely for a car yeah yeah really so <laughs> so he is you know you know saying you know they're a little lost and we're trying to show, tell him where to come and there's a big thing and and eventually we see the 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 semi like drive past us like the entrance <laughs> oh, no. and we knew had he like had he kept going there was no way that he was going to be able to be permitted to come back in mm-hmm. so here we are running in our cute outfits the hair the makeup and, the- <laughs> and we are just running at five o'clock in the morning trying oh, to get my God. yelling over here, over here. <laughs> waving our hands like crazy trying to get this truck driver to see us so he could he could come in needless to say he did see us got back in did a whole maneuvering got back in the whole thing went fine all right good good you don't have unless you can't pay employees to do that Mm -mm. Mm -mm. that's because they have a a vision of the company yes they are bought into it Mm -hmm. and they believe that what they do is worthwhile Yes. To the movement of the organization. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 
I don't know what, you know, you know how we are. I was not about to ruin the shoes. Right. There's mm-hmm. no money that could have ruined the right. shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or the hairdo, because I was perspiring mm-hmm. at that time because mm-hmm. you know, DC is oh, yeah. you know, humid and all that kind of stuff. But the point is that you can develop a company that has strong culture, mm-hmm. strong standards, strong values, where you appreciate your employees, you pay them well, yes, but create a place where they're appreciated. They'll yes. be running at 4 a.m. in the morning trying to mm-hmm. tail them you uh, haul a semi truck because mm-hmm. they believe in what you're doing right right and they're part of something bigger you know they're part they're of part bigger. of something bigger you know and yeah. everybody wants to feel that and you know i talk about this sometimes about legacy you know like we all want to have a legacy that says i was part of something special right yeah. not i was something special because that's this ego and you know that that doesn't matter right. you know after we go and we pass on, we want to know that our life was lived in a meaningful way that lives on beyond us. Right. And so our legacy is what exists when you're gone. And that's what a company, you know, a company owner, it's it's what exists when you're gone. What exists when you're gone. What exists, Mm -hmm. you know, you were talking about kind of like this idea of, you know, entrepreneurs saying, Oh, this is my baby, my baby. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I I, I understand it. Cause I, you know, I feel the same way too. Yeah. But I heard um, Jay Abraham say a better way. He said, you know, your business is kind of like a hedge fund yeah. where you are the investor. You are the main investor in this hedge fund mm-hmm. called your business. <laughs> and you have to make wise choices as to how you're investing in it and how you're structuring it. But if you invest well, mm-hmm. then this hedge fund outside of yourself, when you're gone, it's still there that people can reap the benefits from it and they can whether it's your employees whether it's your customers whether it's your family the families mm. of the employees you know your your investors if you decide to to sell a part of your companies so the point here is it's an entity that's outside of yourself but you're the primary caretaker of it right right and you're the primary investor of it and if you do it well mm-hmm the legacy is beautiful. The it legacy really is. Mm-hmm. Really is. Well, I love this. Gosh, so much valuable information. And I, I have a couple of questions for you. I want to know who, in, you're so inspiring. I mean, obviously like what you've done with the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial and, you know, what you've done with your, with your business to help inspire others on how to grow and how to, you know, have a strategic vision. So who inspires you? Well, you know, I have a couple of people that inspire me, but today I'm going to say Martha Stewart. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) As a business owner, that woman is just something else. Mm -hmm. It's actually between Martha and Oprah. I think they thought they like the two of them together. I have like a picture that I found online years and years ago. I think it was on Pinterest, a picture of Martha and Oprah together. It's a black and white picture. Of course, of course, you know, it's not, there was color pictures when they were around, but Uh I literally have it in my phone, but I'm going to say Martha today because this is a woman who has commercialized the art of what was considered just woman's work. Yes. Right. I mean, it's just woman's work. <laughs> right. That was, yet I honestly, you know, as a young, you know, I'm not age myself, but when Martha <laughs> had her Martha, Martha's Living show, you know, I would watch that thing religiously because mm. I would just loved all of the different tools she would use and like she taught so many different things that you didn't really see out there before yeah. mm-hmm. and then you know she had the whole you know magazine then she had all of the stuff she had in Macy's and yep. then she had the little lip situation and you know with the law and uh-huh. then to come back and <laughs> still mm-hmm. move forward mm-hmm. this woman I just saw on Instagram today mm-hmm. she has now has a partnership with Amazon Angela they wow. just launched it today. All mm. her stuff is going to be on Amazon. I mean, she just doesn't stop. <laughs> she just no. doesn't stop. And I'm really impressed with it. And again, it's to the core, you know, the core things of what she believed in her business is still the same core things from 20, 30 years ago. From yeah. you know, but yet it's she's evolved with the times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and yet she's been able to still maintain the brand in a way that I think is really great. Um, and to think, you know, she, at the time when she, um, when she was an, you know, when, when they had the initial public offering 
I mean, that company yeah. was doing gangbusters I know. on women's work. Yep, this is true. This is uh, true. So, you know, today it's going to be Martha. Go ahead yeah. with your bad self. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, good for her. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I'm so I'm so inspired by so many amazing women in business and because yeah. you know, we do have different challenges. Our challenges are different than yes. what what men deal with and and we are held to a different standard. Yes. And that has something that, do you find that in, in your consulting? Do you find that women have a different standard? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I've had clients who are, are men and mm -hmm. women who, mm -hmm. own, you know, men who own businesses and women. Who, and I do see the differences. Um, obviously, you know, coming up as an attorney in Washington, D.C., you can imagine. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a few. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> you kind of grow up and you think, you know, you know, because I've always believed in myself as a woman and, you know, I've never really, I've never really felt um, that I couldn't do anything different, you know, whatever. But it wasn't until you really, when you finally are out there, you're like, oh, so you are treated a little differently. Yeah. You do have to act a little differently. You do have to show up differently as a woman. And, but when, but now as I journey with women who are owning businesses and men who are own, I begin to see within and how they, a part of it's how we're socialized. A part of it is how we just are. And a part of it is just kind of, you know, the kinds of business and how you show up either way. Um, there is a different way in which women do business. There are some things that I think that they can, um, that women can learn from how men do business. And I think there's some things that men can learn from mm -hmm. women and how they do business. Um, I, you know, there's been, um, I think it was McKinsey who did a study that found that women led um, startups and businesses perform higher. Um, right. When you have companies that have more women led companies, um, they perform higher in uh, several different markers, including revenue. Mm -hmm. um, but yet, only four out of 10 U.S. companies are owned by a woman. Mm -hmm. And then you start looking at um, how women um, owned companies uh, are treated when it comes to getting investments and financing. Oh, yeah. It is completely different. Completely. Can, it is so, even the questions, I think it was um, um, WEBNC company, they um, they did a a, a sort of a study on the kinds of questions mm -hmm. that women founders receive from investors versus men from women. It's always about risk. Can they yeah. handle the risk? What are you going to do about risk versus, you know, more like, how are you going to grow? How are you going to scale mm -hmm. those questions that are fielded towards men? So there's a real, there's real differences there in how right. um, the business owners are looked upon and it's diff more difficult. You know, you were talking about when you were trying to get funding for your company, mm -hmm. it's more likely that women will have to more bootstrap their company based on yep. like family funding, their own funding, those kinds of things. It's very difficult to get funding. So you're looking at, and then you start looking at scale mm -hmm. um, more, even though more women led companies have like the stats are real that they have higher metrics. It is difficult to get the numbers of women-owned businesses that hit the million, right? I know that people feel like that million marker is sort of like an arbitrary number. It really is an it's arbitrary. Not. If you hit the million, it's likely that you will be able to then um, move on to the multiple seven figures and then continue. Um, so when you start looking at the number of women-owned businesses that hit the million um, at top-line revenue, those numbers are, are, are dismal. I think so, that, I think that the, the statistic, cause I know the statistic and I think it's somewhere around 2% of all businesses that make a million dollars or more are owned by women. Yeah. It's shocking. It's, it's shocking. shocking. It's mm -hmm. shocking. It's very shocking. And so, you know, I really am a, I'm a big, huge proponent of Look, I call myself a small business champion, period. And, you know, whether it's owned by a man or a woman, but sure. as a woman, I think, and, and and just basically when you start looking at it, we have to, we, we're losing all of this, half of this resource sort of lagging over here because we don't have structures in place to bring up more women-owned businesses. So 
my big thing is right now, we need to be investing in small and medium-sized businesses as a whole, particularly right. if you're looking into, if, if, particularly if we're talking about this being a recessionary year, you know, we need to start creating structures and systems and infrastructure in place for small businesses to be able to thrive, period, done. Mm-hmm. And we need to be looking specifically around how we can support women-owned businesses because when you when they are leading and leaning well and given the, the structures that are necessary, the systems and the support that is necessary, whether it's through investment, financing, which is the biggest thing really for small businesses, right? It's all about cash, but right. also be able to provide the kinds of tools that are necessary mm-hmm. to be able to allow them to... Um, allow them to be able to uh, compete mm-hmm. in in different ways, then you really are, we're doing something really great for our economies and we're doing right. something really great for our, for our tax base. Absolutely. We're doing something great for our, for an ability for employed to be employed. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things that we need to be able to do that um, we can't do if we're not supporting women-owned businesses. Absolutely. And the diversity piece in general, excuse me, I'm coughing. Um, The diversity piece in general, it leads to a more well-rounded organization that has a stronger foundation, that has more insight into what their customers actually need. You know, when everybody on the board of directors of a company looks the same, that's not okay. You need to have diversity in the room so that you can get those points of view that you just need in order to make a business really sustainable for for the future. I agree. I mean, Angela, you've seen those <laughs> those ads that show up and you're like, was who was sitting on who was in the meeting? Mm-hmm. How did that how did yeah. that leave? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> yes. I sometimes watch and I'm like, mm-hmm. but who was at the table? That's, right, right, that's, right. That's, Oh, there were that one out. There were some Super Bowl commercials that came out just like that, and I was like, "Who said that was a good idea?" I'm like, "I'd love to know where that came from." But yes, I I agree. So so tell me, okay, so as women, we often give our power away. This is something that we do, unfortunately, pretty frequently. Whether it's taking criticism that we don't deserve or giving, you know, credit to somebody who did not deserve it, but we we will be the one to kind of shy away from that. You know, we will we will we will let somebody take our power away. So tell me about a time that you gave your power away and then another time that you've stepped into your power. Well, one time I do remember giving my power away. It was when I was um, in law school. I was hmm. um, in my my last year, thir- my third year of law school. You, know, you have sort of what we call sort of summer associates. And so you um, have an opportunity to work in a law firm. Okay. And, um, and you know, they kind of scope you out. At that time, I knew that I probably wasn't going to want to work for this law firm, but, you know, you want to do it because you don't want to give out opportunity. You know, you want to scope all your opportunities. Of course, yeah. But none the way, I was working in this law firm and the partner who I was um, reporting to um, asked me to create a, uh, to advise, to create a memo that was mm. advising one of our clients, one of the firm's clients on a particular point of law. Mm-hmm. And I, as I researched that particular point of law there, we realized, I found out that the particular, if that particular point of law was violated in some way, not only were there fines, but there could be possible criminal, um, you know, um, consequences, right? Mm -hmm. So in the memo, I drafted it and, you know, you're kind of eager beaver when you're, you want to impress as well. So I just want to say, you know, here's some of the ways that you could, you know, you could be exposed if that happened. Mm-hmm. And I sent it over to the partner. Of course, the, you know, the partner, it's his, it's his, in the end, it was going to be his memo because I was still an intern under him. Right. And he came down to me like hard, like, don't you ever um, tell a client that they could have criminal exposure. Wow. And, and this, is a, this is a major national law firm. Wow. Um, very prestigious. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, really? And I took it like I, I knew in my own gut based on what I knew as an attorney. Because that by that stage, mm-hmm. I had been in law school, law school for a bit. And I'd worked with other, you know, I'd had other internships. And I'd had other. So I knew that 
this is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. because this partner, you know, male, um, he's been in the business for a while, Washington, D.C., blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Mm-hmm. And he came down so hard. I was like, I, I, I told myself that clearly that was the wrong thing to do. And mm-hmm. I should not have you know, put in a memo that the client could possibly have criminal exposure. And I remember telling that to one of the senior associates who was a woman. And I said, yeah, you know, this is what, you know, the partner said. And it wasn't just that he'd had some other critiques that were, you know, about the memo and such. And he, you know, was like, I'm going to have to have you redo this. And so I had to completely redo it. And, and I mean, this is like time consuming, you know, a right, lot of, of course. Course. And I was telling telling her, I'm like, yeah, this is how I messed up. And, you know, and I was just sort of, you know, taking all of all of this shame. And she really, she looked at me and she says, first of all, this, that, you know, this critique, critique number one, that's stylistic. Mm. You know, he may have a stylistic way of writing and this is how you decided to write it. And that is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Critique number two, you know, you are supposed to. Yeah, if there is criminal exposure, right. he doesn't want to do that right now because he does his fear he's going to scare the client away. You know, three blah blah blah. I and mean, she went through the whole thing, and she's like, "Don't ever, ever, if you know things like yes, she's like, you are here to learn. At the same time, there are things that you know to be true. Trust mm-hmm. that." And I really appreciated her being so forthcoming. Yeah, because I was really ready to just kind of be like, yeah, I really clearly messed up, and oh, you know, and, and you know, look at me, and I just mm. clearly I didn't learn anything. Yeah, <laughs> you know? wow, so that was definitely one way that I felt like I told that I that I gave my power away, and if it right. wasn't for another woman who said, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah, good for her. <laughs> good for her. Yes. For her. Yeah, well, and I would say, you. I guess I would, I guess I would say, in terms of owning my power was really going into stepping into my business, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, it's, it, you know, when I, I'd had, I'd started my business, very various iterations of it before I went full time into it. When I went full time in, in 2014, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a scary thing, Angela, you know, you, when you decide, okay, I'm not going to allow, I'm not going to have any, you know, cushion from, yeah. you know, my job, I'm gonna, but I'm going to believe in me. I'm going to bet on me. Mm-hmm. You know, that was me owning my power. And it's, and that, you know, I, what I don't want to have anyone, any of your audience to think that it's just been all, you know, dope, you know, roses and, you know, beautifulness and wonderfulness and easy. It's not, it's not easy. There are moments when I'm looking at the bank account and I'm thinking, really? Mm-hmm. Hey, so this looks interesting. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> right, right. Moments when, you know, you know, the first time I got like a big, huge client. And I didn't staff it enough well. So it kind of just really didn't go very well. And I had to have mm. a come to Jesus conversation where I was the one being come to Jesus. Yep. Oh, yeah. you know, there are lots of moments when building a business where there are ups and downs. So the reason why I'm saying this is because sometimes social media will get people thinking that everyone's out there just, you know, ball and it's going straight mm-hmm. line. But this mm-hmm. is how it goes. It, it jags up. and But yep. it's always going up if you're doing right. what you need to do to build it. Right. So, but I think when I decided to walk full time into my business um, without the crutch of my full time job, that was really the moment where I felt like I was owning myself, owning my power, betting on me. And I want to really encourage other women who are listening to this. And I know you have male audiences too. And I know sometimes there are moments when you have to sort of bet on yourself as well as men. But for women, for some reason, we're socialized to not own our power Mm -hmm. in a really strange kind of way. So um, that was one of the moments when I did and I felt good about it and and I don't regret it. Well, good for you. I love that. Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, stepping in and owning that power and and trusting yourself. That's the hardest part, right? Trusting yourself to be able to do everything that you, you, in your mind, you know, you can do, but that courage, it takes courage every single day. And and yeah, every single day it takes courage. So I have really, really enjoyed this conversation. You are such a blessing because you have given so much great information, but I have one more question for you. So what do you wish more people knew? That they really have it within them. Yeah. Like they got it. Mm-hmm. We really are made of stardust. Mm-hmm. All of us. All yeah. of us. And so step into it. 
you know, leave all of the negative emotions behind any of the jealousy, the fear, the worry, the, any of the things that you, that pop up for you, um, do the healing that you need to do for your childhood wounds and traumas. We all have them, you yeah. know, just address them, heal them, and then move forward because we all have it within us. We're all made of stardust. We can do amazing things. And honestly, this world needs more people doing what it is they're born to do. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Carrie Ann. You have been such a pleasure to talk to. I have enjoyed thank every you. single what minute of this. to meet you and yes. to have this conversation. Really. Absolutely. Well, I am looking forward to hearing more and more about what you're doing because I have no doubt that you're not stopping anytime soon. So keep going. I love this. So, to you so as well. to thank you, you as so well. much for your time today. Again, you can find Carrie M. Powell on our website at prettypowerfulpodcast.com. You can check her out. Go check out her company, um, Trafalgar Systems or Strategies, excuse me, Trafalgar Strategies, and um, let her help you uh, to to create an, an amazing, sustainable, life-giving business. So thank you so much, Carrie, and have an amazing day. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power.